Welcome to our third session, looking at key principles and doctrines we here at Lincoln Baptist Church believe are foundational to the church. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at church membership and then looking at believers' baptism. Today, we're going to consider one of the first kind of key doctrines before the church. That is the doctrine of Scripture. And before we delve in, I want to remind folks that this is kind of a a basic teaching session. This is to inspire you to dig a little bit deeper and to give you some basic foundational knowledge of the doctrine of Scripture. And so if you want to go a little bit deeper, I would highly recommend this primer. Primers are essentially a magazine that goes into a little bit more depth into Bible teaching. This primer is based on the doctrine of Scripture. You can get it on 10ofthose.com for £6 and for £6 you can go into depth some of the things that we are looking at in this session. So highly recommend those primers to you, 10ofthose.com, £6, and you'll be able to dig a little bit deeper. But before we start today, uh, looking at the doctrine of Scripture, I think it's important we define what we mean by doctrine. Well, the Greek word used in the New Testament is didaskalia, which means to teach a particular lesson or subset of information. And when we consider doctrine in reference to the Bible, we could say that doctrine is the scriptural teaching on theological truths. Doctrine is the scriptural teaching on theological truths. In other words, doctrine is using the Bible to teach ourselves and others about the nature of God and who he is. We're therefore going to use the Bible to teach us about the Bible and the nature of God. That means we're going to refer quite a lot to the Bible today, which means you need to have one open in front of you and probably a notebook handy to help you note down the references as we go. It also means we're not going to try and get our opinions to fit with God's word. Rather, we're going to take true foundational doctrine and shape our opinions by the knowledge of God's word. So God's word comes first, scripture comes first, then opinions and interpretation comes from that, not the other way around where we come to God's word with opinion and then try and get something out that we think is right because all that will do is produce a false doctrine built on self-opinions. And so to help us with the doctrine of Scripture, I will split our time into two parts. At first, we'll look at some basic truths about Scripture itself. What is the Bible? And then second, we'll ask some key questions that need to be answered so that we understand the authority of Scripture. And so we're going to delve right into the first of the basic truths of Scripture, and that is Scripture is the words of God. Scripture is the words of of God. Let's be clear what we mean by the Bible. Here are some of the key facts that we should know about its structure and contents. It's made up of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, that is pre-Christ, and then 27 in the New Testament, that is post-Christ. We also know that the words of the Bible were written by men. We know that the Apostle Paul wrote several letters. We know that David wrote several of the Psalms. And so as we look at at male writers, human writers of God's word, we know that the question that comes up is, are the words of the Bible not merely the opinion of men that lived 2000 plus years ago? How can the Bible be God's word if it was written by men? Taking that question further, should we only believe and follow the words of Jesus in the Gospels, known as the red letters, the actual words that Jesus physically spoke? Or should we also give the same weight and obedience to the words of Paul to the church, say, in Philippi, or to David, say, in the Psalms? 
Essentially, the questions we're asking is the authority of Scripture. Yes, men wrote it, but how does it carry authority? And does the whole Bible carry authority or only certain parts? Well, to help us understand these questions and the answers, we need to go to 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You see that all scripture, meaning every word found in the Bible, is God-breathed. This breath comes from the root of the word breath in Hebrew, that is ruah which first occurs in Genesis 2-7, where it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. It is the ruah, the breath of God, that brings life to man. It is also the same breath of God, that ruah, that brings life to the words in Scripture. You see, it may have been written by men writing the words down on slates and parchment, but the words came from God who spoke them to these men for them then to write down. Yet these words were not thoughtlessly put together. We're told Psalm 119 verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. God took his eternal words, he gave them to men, and he commanded them to write all as he breathed Ruah, as he took life from him and placed them into the very words that were being written. Jesus, while speaking about the destruction of the temple, makes clear where his words stand. Matthew 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This was not just merely words of men. This was the words of God. And I think 2 Peter 1 from verse 20 gives a very clear explanation. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is what we mean when we say that Scripture are the words of God. It wasn't just a bunch of guys huddled in a room writing to meet a deadline. This was God's eternal, never-ending words breathed upon selected individuals, bringing life to them as they wrote them down, bringing divine authority to them as they presented them as the eternal Scriptures that we now hold on today. So when you pick up the Bible, this is not just about authors and books and letters and poems. This is about the eternal words of God now in words before us. The second thing that we need to understand about Scripture is that Scripture is infallible and inerrant. Scripture is infallible and inerrant. The word infallible means being incapable of making a mistake. The word inerrant means being incapable of being wrong. The premise, therefore, is that God's word is perfect on all occasions because it's incapable of making mistakes and it's incapable of being wrong. Therefore, it is perfect at all times. In Titus 1-2 we read, In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages again. The word of God does not lie because God does not lie. But then this comes up with a question. Does God not lie because he chooses to or something else going on? Well, let's flick into Hebrews 6.18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. The word of God doesn't lie because it's impossible for God to lie. If God cannot lie, then all that is within Scripture, which is breathed out by God, given by God, carried by the Holy Spirit, therefore must be truth. 
John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, the technical term for all of this is inerrant, meaning that scripture is incapable of being wrong and cannot contradict itself. Therefore, it self-attests, it proves itself and affirms itself. And in the age and society where little is given to truth, God's word stands in complete authority. The Old Testament attests the New Testament. The New Testament affirms the Old Testament and God's word is perfect in every way. Psalm 12 verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground purified seven times. Not just some of the words though, Proverbs 30 verse 5, every word of God proves true. This is God's word, perfect in every way, every single word proving true. How is this flawless text possible? Well, remember, scripture is not just the words you see in front of you, but instead the very character of God seen in Christ Jesus. Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will not fulfill it? God's character is pure. His son is pure and therefore his word is pure. And the key to understanding this and believing it is where we place God in the process of having the Bible in our hands. You see, it is God who gave the words. It is God that picked the men to write them. It is God that designed the Bible that we have today. It is the God that cannot lie, who cannot make mistakes, and his word is entirely pure that forms scripture before us. And that is why we're able to say it's infallible and inerrant. It cannot make a mistake and it's entirely perfect because it comes direct from God himself. And therefore we see God's character through the words of scripture. Thirdly, I want you to see that scripture is clear. God has not given us his word to confuse us or bring about some mystery in our faith. Instead, God has given us his word to reveal to us in an understandable and clear manner his purposes and his desire for his children. Now, it may seem at times that the Bible is overly complicated. However, it has been specifically given to give a clear record of God's breathed out words before us. Psalm 19 verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The learning of God's word, the daily study, the daily meditation over it will bring wisdom and understanding irrespective of if you have a degree or any education or whether you're older or younger. God's word brings wisdom. Psalm 119 verse 130, the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. The issue is we complicate God's word or we use the word of God incorrectly. The study of hermeneutics, that is the principles and how we interpret God's word is important here. We cannot simply pick up the Bible and take little things and think we're going to understand each word. That is not what I mean by clear. What I mean by clear is that if it's correctly handled, a humble servant before God will seek revelation from God, from his words, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's clear when we rely on God and not ourselves, when we rely on God and not others, and when we rely on God and not opinions, God's word becomes clear to the humble. Fourth thing I want you to see about scripture is that scripture is necessary. Scripture is necessary. If you believe it, there are some that don't really believe we need the Bible in our world. 
I say that because for many, the Bible is something they regularly read or even regularly study, but there are so many that don't do that and so many that just leave the Bible on a shelf or don't even have a Bible they own. Yet what we find in God's word, in scripture, is that the Bible, God's word, is necessary for three key reasons. The first is that it gives us knowledge of salvation in Jesus. All of scripture tells us of the story of the fallen mankind who are in need of salvation. In the Old Testament, there is continued prophecy that one would come to bring salvation to the people. In the New Testament, we see that person in Christ Jesus. We learn in John's gospel that Jesus is the only way to be saved and there are no other options available to mankind. I think this is all put well together in Romans 10 from verse 10. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Do you see, scripture gives knowledge of the gospel, the knowledge of salvation in Jesus. Then a clear reminder that many don't know about Jesus. So we've got to take this scripture that tells us about salvation and get it out to the nations so that people will know this gospel truth. It is not opinion we preach, nor some form of man-made good morals. It is salvation in Jesus, which is revealed in all of scripture that we are to take to the nations. And the second thing that God's word is necessary for is that it gives us knowledge of how we are to live our lives for Jesus. It gives us knowledge on how to live our lives for Jesus. The Christian life doesn't finish upon salvation. What comes next is the desire to please the Lord by being obedient and living a holy and perfect life before him. Deuteronomy 8.3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We need the word of God to live. We cannot survive as Christians in this world without it. It is necessary for the Christian to read God's word. We are to devour it as if we were starving for sustenance. We need to devour the words of God. For the word of God sustains as we strain forward for the sake of Jesus. And so it's necessary for the Christian to pick up scripture, to read, to study and to meditate on it. The third reason why it's necessary is that it guides us to the will of God. It guides us to the will of God. We're not to walk blind in this world. We are to seek the will of God and then we're to walk in it. Psalm 119 verse 1. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. The word of God shows us the ways of God. It directs our steps and it keeps us from sinning against God. It is vital to find the wisdom of God and know his purposes that we might walk in them. It's both knowledge and doing. And that comes about in wisdom to understand the ways of God and then to live in them. Do you see, if it were not for scripture, we would not have the knowledge of salvation. We would not know how to live our lives before God and we wouldn't know the will of God in our lives. As the solas would say, sola scriptura, on scripture alone. That is why the word of God is necessary for it pertains 
to everything and upon scripture alone, which is the word of God, who is Jesus, who is the creator God, we must base our lives. And so our fourth point, I guess, today is that scripture is necessary because it pertains to all aspects of life. The fifth element that we need to look at in terms of scripture itself is that scripture is sufficient and closed. Scripture is sufficient and closed. The Bible gives us what God has to say on any given matter. It has been revealed to us in this generation and those before us that the Bible is God's response to our questions and therefore the Bible is our go-to place for answers in all aspects of life. It is sufficient, meaning we need no other source, no other route to God to understand his purposes, commands and desire for us. It is therefore closed. We're not to add to it or take away from the canon of scripture. And by that, I mean the 66 books and the nearly 800,000 words ordered and detailed in the Bible. It is sufficient for all things and you cannot take anything out or add anything to it because it's perfect in all ways. Consider Deuteronomy chapter four and verse two. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Deuteronomy 12, 32. See that you all you do all I command you. Do not add to it or take away from it. Do you see in these two Old Testament passages, we're being told very clearly, don't add and don't take away. God's word is sufficient. You don't need anything else but the word of God before you. Bible keeps telling us, Proverbs 30 verse 5, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. We're not to add to the words of God. Why? Because it is sufficient. It will deal with all aspects of life. And I think all of these fact verses are summed up in Revelation 22 verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, that being the, the scripture, God's word, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes the words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. Time and time again, the Bible tells us that we need no new revelation, no new word, no other source, no other writing, for the Bible is complete and sufficient for all we need as believers in Christ. We therefore are not to take anything out of it, and we're not to put anything in it. Often we'll take the things we don't like out and often we'll put our opinions in it and we are not to do that. And as Revelation says, if anyone even attempts to do that, the entire curses that are written in scripture will be placed upon their lives, leading to eternal damnation. Do you see here that God's word, if it wasn't sufficient, we'd be searching for answers. If it wasn't closed, it could be changed and warped so easily. Therefore, it is sufficient because it's perfect in all ways without error and it's incapable of lying. And it's also closed because God's word is final. Now, before moving on to some key questions, really in our second part here, I want to cover in a few moments some key questions I'm asked, but I want to just double check that you're aware of what we've already learned. First, scripture is the words of God, written by men, but given by God. Scripture is infallible and inerrant. It cannot lie and it has no flaws. Scripture is clear and understandable through the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture is necessary for every aspect of life, namely the knowledge of salvation and holy living and the will of God. 
Scripture is sufficient for all things. We need no other text. Scripture is closed, meaning we cannot add or take away anything from it. Friends, we've got to see Scripture itself as authoritative in our lives. For Jesus is the one that breathed in the very life of God into these words. Remember, this is doctrine. We're using God's word to teach us about God's word. This is not about opinions. Everything I have said is backed up by scripture itself. It self-attests, self-affirms, and it's scripture that teaches us about scripture. With all that said, let me answer some key common questions that I am asked about the Bible. Number one, what translation should I use? What translation should I use? Well, the, the Bible's the Bible, right? Maybe, maybe you're a bit confused by this question, but why are there so many different translations? What fascinates me is what we tend to do is go to the translation that we used in Sunday school or when we became a Christian. Yet there's so many. There's the NIV, NLT, King James Version, New King James Version, the Message, the ESV, the Good News Bible, and so many more. So how are we to be sure on which one we are to read? At first, we have to understand that the Bible was originally written in Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament, meaning every English Bible that we have before us here in the Western world and in any other language around the world is a translation. And these translations come into three distinct categories. The literal translation, which concentrates on the original meaning of the text, which means the language does tend to be quite formal. Uh, versions like King James Version and the ESV are, are classic examples of literal versions. We have the dynamic version. Uh, these translations concentrate on the original force or the thought rather than the original words. So the language uh, might not be exactly the same, but the message is the same. Uh, versions like the NIV and the NLT are good examples of the dynamic version. And then we have the free versions. Uh, most versions in this categories are classified as paraphrases. Their aim is to take God's word and give a 21st century look at it. A good classic example of a free version is the Message Bible. Now, I personally use the English Standard Version, the ESV, for both personal devotions and Bible teaching. I find using a literal translation study helps me focus on what God is saying. It gives me depth and meaning to the original text. And I personally don't use anything from the free category because I'm uncomfortable with the paraphrasing element, essentially someone's opinion coming into the Word of God, and it often has a watering down effect. Sure, it makes for easy reading, but is it still really honouring God's word? So the version you use is always a personal choice, but let me encourage you not to just use the version you've always used, but to research which one would be best for you in your study and in your witness before others. The second question I'm often asked is, how and when should I read the Bible? How and when should I read the Bible? Well, consider Psalm 1-2. Blessed is the one who delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Scripture tells us that we are to read the Bible daily, delighting in it, not seeing it as a chore. We're to meditate on the Word of God, meaning we're to study it, bringing careful consideration to what is contained in the Bible and to do so continuously without going one day without having the Bible and taking in its words. We here at Lincoln Baptist Church run a daily reading program where every day we read scripture with an aim to read the whole of scripture in one year. We then have a devotion each day considering how to then apply that scripture to us. 
And the key thing is not about the program or even that we might have a devotional with it, but on reading the word of God in a humble and faithful manner. And so when and how should you read it? As often as you can, every day, and read it in a humble manner before the Lord. For it is sufficient for all your needs. It is closed, therefore you need no other text. It is perfect in every form of way. And it is the very words of God that you get to hold in your hands and read. And the third question, it seems like an unusual question, but actually it comes up quite often. And that are, what are the dangers of proof texting? What are the dangers of proof texting? A proof texting is simply plucking out a verse and using it without any consideration for what it actually means. And proof texting quite often happens when somebody wants to prove a point or when they simply like a verse and therefore want to share it maybe on social media. In other words, proof texting is entirely ignoring where the text, where the verse actually comes from. A good example of this is Philippians 4.13 and let me just read that out to you. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Often this verse is proof texted, meaning someone plucks it out and uses it in all sorts of applications. And the main application is that you can do whatever you want for God will give you the strength to do it. You can get this new job because God will strengthen you to do it. You can get fit by tomorrow because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can have the world that you want around your life. You can have all the success because you can do it for you can do it through the strength that Christ gives you. And we completely ignore the context because we like the verse. It gives us a positive feeling. But let's understand the context here and therefore the proof, uh, the, the issue of proof texting. Philippians 4, but this time from verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you have no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is returning to the fact that he has great joy in knowing he is cared for by the church. He shares with the church his greatest lesson and that is of contentment. He knows what it means to have nothing and what it means to have plenty. He has learned what it means to be in abundance, having everything he wants and to be in absolute despair, having nothing that he needs. And he's learned to be content in all those things, trusting in the Lord. And it's after this that verse 13 then comes in, that he can do all things through him who strengthens me. Essentially, he can do all things because he's learned the art of contentment. He can do all things for Christ because he's content in whatever situation he's in, the Lord is still at work. I can do all things in life fully content because God provides all for me. He provides the very air I breathe and sustains my life. I can do it because he allows it. I can do it because I'm content no matter the result. Do you see the issue of proof texting here? Because we have ignored the context, we made it all about our strength and what we can achieve. Well, what Paul's talking about is contentment and humility before the Lord. So we must consider the entire passage, where the verse sits, and therefore how the passage applies in context to our own lives. There are just a few questions about scripture. Please do feel free to email in and message in any other uh, uh, questions that you might have. And before I kind of come up to a conclusion, uh, all of this is covered in the primer. Remember that's 10ofthose.com, six pound. All of this is covered in the primer and it goes even deeper than I've been able to in this seminar together.
Well, in conclusion, the doctrine of Scripture ultimately shows us that the Word of God is essential, it's valuable, and it should be treated with care. It is also a wonderful privilege to have it in our very hands, to study it and to learn more about God. Friends, let me be very clear. You have a phenomenal opportunity before you. You can read the very words of God and know the Creator God Himself. I encourage you to pick up your Bibles and to read and to study. Join us in our daily devotions if you want each day as we read God's word. And most importantly, let scripture shape your life and your eternal destiny. If you're ever in doubt, go to the word of God, which is perfect and pure, sufficient and closed and is necessary for every aspect of your life. Friends, I pray that the word of God will shape your life and most importantly, shape your eternal destination. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word, for the very words you breathed out to these men to write. We thank you for all the hard bits, all the good bits, all the blessings, all the trials that are referred to it. Father, we pray that we would take your word and we would see it sufficient for all aspects of our life, that we would rely upon it, that we would trust it, that we live by it, that we live through it. And Father, we pray that we would daily read it, meditate on it, study it, so that it would shape our lives to be an ambassador for the gospel and to have our eternal destination secure in the hands of Christ Jesus. Father, we pray that we would see it as a privilege to have it, and therefore we would not lack any desire to go and study and read it. Father, we pray that you would bless us with your words. We pray this in your name. Amen.